You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 32 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and more. We're recording on Thursday, September 3rd, 2015. I'm Victor Marks, and with me, I've got Shane Cole, coming in live from Hong Kong. Hi, Shane. Yo. And we've also got with us managing editor, Neil Hughes. Hey, how's it going? Brilliantly. I want to jump right in. Apple TV has suddenly become a very hot topic. And we were talking about this back in the early episodes of this podcast, but now it's really heated up. So the latest rumors are this thing's going to cost $149 and feature universal cross-service search with Siri. I think uh, the 149 price tag is off-putting now because people haven't seen it in action. And a lot of people in the comments especially were saying that it was too much. They were charging too much, especially when you're trying to compete. And you said this too when we talked the other day, Victor, that you thought that you know when you're competing with a $39 Chrome stick or Fire TV stick, uh, $149 is just too much. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, we'll, we'll see. If it does uh, uh, more than we expect and it does it well, uh, $149 would be a bargain price, frankly. I think that's expecting a lot out of a device that is supposed to run almost entirely off of Siri. <laughs> Go on. You want to elaborate on that? No, Siri is is terrible. I mean, you know, everybody knows this. It's really good at some things, but it's really bad at almost everything. And I think uh, depending on Siri as a temple, unless they have some awesome improvement under the hood, which we haven't thought about or don't know about, uh, depending on Siri as a temple feature for this will uh, not make that price look very great on the shelf. Well, Siri is is all done server side. So, I mean, it's possible that they could have something secret in waiting and just flip the switch on it. And then one day, you know, all of our iPhones are, you know, getting better service than they were before from Siri. That's certainly possible, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying uh, that it can't improve. I'm just, uh, given the track record with software and services, I'm not confident. I use Siri all the time. I use Siri practically every day. And I'm using it because I'm in my car using CarPlay. And that's the primary way to interact with CarPlay is, is via Siri. I mean, you can certainly touch the, touch the screen, but if you're doing text messages at all and telling it to navigate to places, you're doing it through voice input. And it works brilliantly for me, but I know that there are many people like you, Shane, who, who totally think it's rubbish. And uh, I have a number of friends who live in England who simply will not use it because it is garbage on wheels for them. So my thought is... is it, I, it's I, slow. You, it, know, it, <laughs> you, you talk to it and it takes forever to get a response. Google Now is much faster yeah. than Siri. And Google, um, Google now, the results I don't really have much of a problem with. That that new version of Google Now has been out for what about a year now, and if they, if whoever isn't is the PM on Siri isn't holding Google Now in their hand every single day and saying this is what we should be building as the world's most right. profitable or richest corporation, then that person should be fired. Yeah. My problem with Siri is that the interaction timing is weird. If I have to say, hey, Siri, and give it my thing, it's likely to miss what my input question is or, or what, my, what my direction is. And Google Now doesn't miss that first step. And that's really the most frustrating part of Siri for me. Yeah, that happens to me a lot, too. I also get a lot of just I- miss, miss. She mishears me a lot. Like the other day, we had the, the give me a hint thing for the event, and uh, <laughs> it kept saying, it kept thinking I said, get my aunt. It kept offering you hits? It kept trying to dial my aunt's phone number. <laughs> Here's your local drug dealer. Give me a hit. I, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that it re- would need um, you know, a massive overhaul to work in terms of what is promised here. Um, as a personal assistant, that's pretty complex, but we're just talking about searching uh, a variety of sources here, and that's going to be the primary input for for Siri, correct? So, if I'm trying to find out, you know, let's say I subscribe to um, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Go, or HBO Now, or whatever, um, and I search, and it just gives me a result, and I can figure out which of these stupid services that I pay for is actually carrying the movie this month that I want to watch. Uh, I think that has a lot of value, does it not? It certainly solves the problem of the stupid keyboard. Yeah, if there's a service like that, then I'll be ecstatic because i go through this every single day what's on netflix what's on hbo now what's on hulu which well, but that's what the seven things i watch that's what the rumor is that, it, that it's going to make content discovery easier well if they treat it agnostically so that they don't favor itunes that's going to be brilliant well of course it's going to favor itunes i mean they want to sell you stuff too you know that was the problem that i had with the amazon product was that you'd search it and it favored amazon and i want universal i want it to be completely agnostic here's where everything is and if they list iTunes first, that's subtle. But I That's why the Echo exists, is to serve Amazon. That's why all of Amazon's hardware products exist. 
Well, I, I would hope that it works like the uh, formerly known as Spotlight Search in iOS, um, which will now become known as Siri in iOS 9, where you can actually go in and customize um, how your results appear, uh, turn off certain search functions, say don't search my messages, uh, change the order of priority of what you want to see first. So, it, you know, if it were to be a um, uh, iOS style interface, maybe you could go into the settings and say, uh, my number one priority is I want to watch stuff on Netflix. That's my favorite interface. It's my favorite place to watch. If it's not there, then give me Hulu. And then if it's not there, show me where I can buy it on iTunes or just turn that off. Hopefully you'd be able to do something like that to have some layer of granular control of the results. Yeah. So moving from a $69 device to $149 device price is pretty steep. So there's got to be something else here besides just universal search, Siri, and a fancy touch remote. Do we think that the uh, there's a, a content subscription service going along with this that's going to make it worthwhile? Well, I don't know that the content subscription service is going to be the one the thing that bumps the price up. No, uh, but I mean, it's, it's not has bumping the price, but it's making it worth spending. You have to buy the new device to get this additional thing, and that helps justify the purchase. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that, would they? They're not above anything. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they would be essentially throwing away... An install base of what twenty million ish? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can imagine this not supporting the first gen or the second gen, especially given that Th- those are Beats dead. music didn't come to the second. Those are, but those yeah. are gone products. Yeah, man. yeah, at least the third gen. Well, they're still supporting the second gen when new channels come out. I still have a second gen Apple TV, and but I get them on there. They don't. It doesn't get all of them. Like it didn't get Beats music, for instance. Right, but that was actually a software update. That wasn't just a channel. The channels as they come out or show up on the second and third gen, which is cool. Um, so I never really felt a need to upgrade to the third gen because at that point I was just waiting for whatever's coming next. I, I you know, the one forty nine price doesn't really bother me. If Siri works, if it is easy to control and use, and you know, I can watch my stuff easily and maybe download some games or something on it and have fun with it. I think it's, you know, they're taking on a whole range of devices that plug into your TV from these low-end sticks to high-end game consoles. Well, sight unseen, my position is this. Right now, the current one is 69 bucks. Everyone else's stuff is that 69 79 or 39 price point. If they're going to come in at 149 that breaks it for me. 99 is an impulse purchase. Yes, it's a little bit more than everyone else, but it's Apple's. I'll buy it. At 149 I balk. I wait. Well, there was a report out that said that this interface on it is just to blow away existing smart TVs. The current I mean, one blows away existing <laughs> smart TVs. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I was what? in a hotel last week in Seattle using an LG, and the thing was god awful terrible. Granted, it had hotel firmware on it, but but no, the the current thing blows away hotel smart TVs. Yeah, any current smart TV is not very good. I think you have to compare this, like I was saying, to existing things like the Fire TV, uh, Chromecast, I think you uh, gotta Xbox, com- PlayStation. You got to compare it to the Xbox, the PlayStation, and the Roku because those yeah. are the, that triumvirate is the the big are the big boys in the room. Um, everybody yeah. I know has one of those three, and it's not going to compete in terms of games or anything like that with an Xbox. You're going to get you know the blockbuster games or something like that only on your Xbox, but it's a good enough factor, you know. If you are looking at getting an Xbox, but you don't really care that much about playing the latest high-end games and the games on the Apple TV are good enough and the apps on the Apple TV are good enough, at 149 you might say, well, I'll save myself you know, 400, uh, the price of a $400 Xbox or something like that. Wait, wait, you raise a very interesting point. This is supposed to be an A8-equipped device. Is that right? A8, A8X, something? A8 is the rumor, yeah, not the X. But okay. it will be souped up because it's plugged into the wall and has enough to be efficient for a battery. So if it needs to crank up the horsepower, it can really take the full potential of the A8. So I'm, I'm wondering, is metal an A8 enhancement or is metal required with the A8X? Rather, is the A8X nope, required metal for metal? runs on A7. A8, uh, A7 runs metal. A Mac runs metal and with uh, El Capitan. Well, the, the Mac's so, a different yeah, beast. Yeah, you could have so, metal-enabled yeah. games. Right, but you would have metal-enabled games on an Apple TV, presumably. That could be interesting. That could be hot. So they're they're targeting a large swath of the market here. It's not just uh, you know the thirty-nine dollar Chromecast. It's Roku. It's Xbox. It's high and low end. They're they're really targeting the whole thing. Is is what I would guess. Yeah, I don't think that their their market. I don't think Chromecast is in their market. They're not looking at that. They're looking at Roku and they're looking at. No. Xbox and the new media stuff that Microsoft is doing, and they're looking at Sony and the stuff yeah. they're doing. They're not looking at people who are going to buy a Chromecast. The Fire TV thing, it's a different story, but the Chromecast, I don't think, is a is a real competitor. And then there was a rumor that came out this week that Apple's looking to get into the original content business, too. And 
perhaps make some of their own content or have it exclusive or stuff like that. Certainly there's stuff that goes on like that iTunes, on iTunes now where you can buy it first on iTunes or something. But uh, presumably this would be tied to a subscription service and maybe some Netflix House of Cards style whatever. When I read that, my first thought was why not just buy Netflix? <laughs> I mean Netflix is already doing a great job. They're one of the most beloved companies out there. They're making great original content that everybody wants to see. They bring old properties back to life. Um, uh, that serve niche markets that, uh, I mean, they have a lot of enthusiasm around them. You know, as, as, as I watch Netflix's stock keep dropping, it's like, hmm, this would be a pretty good acquisition for Apple. It would be a blockbuster acquisition, obviously. And nobody would ever miss the DVD business. Not a single person no. on earth. Quickster. Not a tear was shed. You know, I never even used the DVD. If service. Apple were to buy Netflix, do you think that would be a, um, do you think that would be a potential antitrust suit though? No, no, there's no market monopolization. <laughs> there. Well, I mean, yeah, but I'm thinking, you know, in terms of the iTunes side of the business where you're selling and then the the monthly rental style thing. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, Netflix has got to be astronomically larger than Hulu, right? I mean, I think Netflix has 40 million something subscribers. Uh, yeah, 44. 44 million. Yeah. Did you, uh, you know, did you turn on the uh, the ad free Hulu subscription? No, that's it's ridiculous that I have to pay $4 extra to not view ads on something I'm already paying $8 for. I, I agree with you, but I consulted my wife, who is wise beyond all measure, and she said, for $4 more, I don't have to suffer through those ads? Do it. Honestly, I I don't even want to pay $8 for Hulu to begin with, but my wife yeah. uh, uses it to watch whatever god-awful network television shows she watches. We should someday I was having a discussion with my wife the other shows. day because we were trying to watch we were trying to watch something that wasn't on Netflix and we were debating whether or not we want to pay for Hulu because we don't currently we don't really watch Hulu and we both kind of came to the conclusion where we're like, "Nah, nah, not really. <laughs> We've got enough stuff on Netflix. We already pay for cable. Um, there's other ways to watch it. I can, you know, put it on my computer and plug it in HDMI cable. At that point, it's just one more thing to pay for and I just don't feel a need, so. Yeah. But all this is shifting because we, we know how over time Netflix doesn't have movies. They take them away and, and they cycle in new ones, right? I heard yesterday right. that a lot of the Netflix movies are going to be taken out of Netflix and that Hulu picked up the license. Hulu picked up the distribution agreement. It was actually uh, – stuff was on that channel Epix as well got an exclusive deal. Everybody's just making a content play now. Like HBO got a deal for Sesame Street. Yeah, AMC is going to be a part of Hulu now as well. Right. So you know, I, I think that you, you just see this kind of land grab going on. Everybody's trying to get content locked up there to make sure that people come and pay because – if the content was essentially the same across platforms, then then why would you pay for multiple ones? But like, I, I have an Amazon Prime subscription, and I don't think I've ever watched anything on Amazon Prime, but they just announced this week that they're going to allow uh, offline viewing, and you can download stuff and put it on your iPad so you can bring it on a flight with you and actually watch it without having to worry to pay for in-flight Wi-Fi or something like that. So now I'm going to look at Amazon Prime. I'm going to check out and see what they have to offer because they're doing something unique that that Netflix is not yet doing. Well, and this is the entire philosophy behind Netflix's original content, right? And I guess the thinking behind why Apple would do original content. Or but, Amazon's original uh, content. Yeah, the problem is... I think the sh- the problem is the shows are too good, so you're still going to pay for multiple places because you're going to pay for one place that has the huge back catalog of of you know Seinfeld and whatever, and you're going to pay for another place that has the awesome new shows like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards. So it's going to be a total pain in the ass. It, it really is. It is. It so is. But Amazon, I think you'll be kind of disappointed in because there are a, a small selection of movies that I liked that were prime and. Some of the original shows were prime, but pretty much everything else they want you to charge and pay for. So they have this big video catalog, and it's kind of a hybrid between all you can eat of things that are labeled prime and then, oh, pay for this other stuff. So you get watching a show, and one season is prime, and the other seasons are you must now cough up money. Yeah, I always hated that. That's one of the reasons I never considered it. Even when I had a prime subscription, I never considered using it prime video because it was just so annoying to find something that you wanted to watch and then have to pay extra for it. I, I don't even watch movies on any of these services like Netflix. I pretty much have Netflix just for their original content. I have HBO just for their original content. I don't 
check out what movies are available on HBO or anything like that. Now, if there was a cross-platform search, I might use it more. Uh, it certainly would be like, oh, that's on Netflix. Because right now it's like, boot up Netflix, search, oh, it's not there, or get on my computer and search. And it's just a big pain. Um, and I could see that addressing it. it. It doesn't speak as well to Apple's proposal for a $40 a month subscription service, uh, which is what they want to charge. Because if I'm going to be paying that in addition to Netflix, in addition to HBO, in addition to Hulu, in addition to my home internet, I'm no longer saving any money. I think you weren't saving any money about three in additions to later. Yeah. <laughs> in, well, in addition, I, I mean, like you just know how that's going to work. The cable providers are going to, the, 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 the cable companies, we've talked about this before, they're going to bundle your channels with your internet and it's not going to be economical for you to pay for a subscription service. It's going to have to do something that goes above and beyond. Yeah, I don't know. I, I It's going to have to be, so, yeah, above and beyond is a good word. It's going to have to be something that amalgamates every, either amalgamates everything or comes with something that you can't get anywhere else because otherwise 40 bucks is not going to fly and ESPN is not going to get it done. I, I, if I could get all the sports I want to see live on my phone, I would pay $40 a month for well, you, that. You can do convenience that. Of that. You can do that essentially right now with Sling TV because... With ESPN. Because Sling TV gives you... you for the Sling TV service is is pretty decent. Um, the client kind of sucks a little bit, but what you get with Sling TV is you get the same uh, access that a cable subscriber gets. So you can sign in with your Sling TV credentials on your Apple TV to the various apps and stream from there. Yeah. So for yeah, twenty bucks a month, you get everything. It's it's got TNT, ESPN, ABC, CBS, and Fox, which covers. 90% of live sporting events. Well, it doesn't have uh, NBC Sports Network, right? Uh, I don't think so. Why did you not tell me yeah, about this before? I watch hockey. So, we, Well, you're the only doing, one in the world who watches hockey. We've been doing this podcast <laughs> for months now, and now you bring this up? Well, sorry. You've never God. heard of Sling TV before? Damn. Come on. No, we talked about Sling TV. We didn't talk about you get the same access as you do as a cable subscriber and sign into the individual apps on the Apple TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you just log in with your credentials, yeah. For God's sakes. <laughs> I could have been doing this all this time. I mean, it's a good deal, but they're all basic cable and, channels, right? Yeah, but if you yeah, cut off cable. How much cable, do they charge you for basic cable? I totally cut off cable. Right, right. God. I wish I could do that. I cannot totally cut off cable, so. Well, uh, you're I, in New York. No, there's no incentive for me to get slinked. Yeah. yeah. Until I get Google Fiber in New York City. <laughs> Fat chance. Good luck. Yeah. Your city infrastructure is just too hard to lay fiber everywhere like that. That's only Time Warner everywhere anyhow, so. Well, and then you'll get another Hurricane Sandy. No competition. It out and it'll be terrible. <laughs> Terrible for everyone. Catastrophes like that are awful. But I want to talk about something that's not awful. I want to talk about something that goes above and beyond. And that is Softlayer. Softlayer delivers cloud-built solutions. Your business, your applications, your computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs and go above and beyond. Softlayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform, all on demand, all connected to the same open API, all connected to a global private network allowing you to scale up and down your workloads very quickly and have ample space for your storage-intensive tasks. Shane, you use software. Shane? Sorry, I had my volume down. Yes, I did. <laughs> what, what's your experience with software? Uh, as everyone who's listened to this before, or I guess before in the last three weeks knows, uh, it's quite good. Uh, I like software very much. They do great customer service. Uh, their network's top-notch. And uh, I've never run into a situation where I needed something from them and they couldn't provide it. Awesome. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of data center. And there are 24 data centers around the world. You can automate and control your cloud infrastructure with a granular API or an easy-to-use Softlayer's customer portal. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for solutions from software. Shane, thanks for sharing that. I, I know everyone's heard you say it, but uh, I do appreciate it. Anytime. So I have a friend who wants to buy a new iMac and I've told him to hold off, although the iMacs are perfectly wonderful machines. We've heard a rumor about a change to the iMac and its display. What do you know about it? Well, they're, um, they currently have a 27-inch iMac with 5K Retina display. And we've kind of known for a few months now that a 4K Retina display on the 21.5-inch model, the smaller one, is coming um, just because of uh, 
in the El Capitan code, there are references to a 4K display. So the presumption is that that would, because it works out to be about the same pixels per inch as the 5K display on the 27.5 or 27 inch model. So uh, the expectation is that there will be an iMac launched in October, which is when Apple has historically held um, Mac and iPad centric events and launched their next operating system. So if they stick to their usual release schedule, which they've done for the last few years now, um, you can expect a second event after the September 9th one uh, to be held in October, presumably to show off uh, Macs and El Capitan and maybe some iPads. Um, and yeah, so it'll be it'll expand the Retina display option to a smaller iMac. Cool. You know, I never realized how much I like the Retina display until recently. I've been using a MacBook Air 11-inch, and it has clearly not the Retina display. And uh, I've had some time with the 15-inch. My God, you guys have been gorgeous with those things. Look at that screen. <laughs> we yeah. have been gorgeous. Once you, once you get a Retina display, you can't go you back. You guys are gorgeous. The screen is even better. Uh, are you drunk? I was just going to make the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's you, gorgeous. You were uh, the one who encouraged drinking before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, once you get a Retina display, you can't go back. Um, like, I love the form factor and the inclusion of ports on the MacBook Air. Uh, and the new MacBook uh, is nice, but I just can't live with one port on it. I just can't do it. And uh, that's why the MacBook Air isn't even a consideration for me. Uh, I would love to own one if they put a Retina display in it, but that is never going to happen. So uh, here I am in a MacBook Pro, and it's the best of both worlds, and I love it, but... Um, I would I would like to have a super portable one with some uh, with a full size port on it, <laughs> or yeah. at least an extra port that I could plug stuff into while I charge. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of commuting lately. Um, I usually work from a co working space near my house, but I've been going to uh, some other offices recently, and I've been really, really, really hating having a fifteen inch laptop. I wish I desperately that I could buy a thirteen inch. So if you work at Apple and you're listening to this, please. I beg you, I and many other people like me beg you, put a dedicated GPU, a discrete GPU in the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, I would love that. Oh, uh, my God. So do, do you guys care about this iMac? Do, I mean, for, for any of us, would it, does it apply? I don't, I mean, not necessarily. I think it just brings the line all the way up yeah. to, it just brings high-res screens all the way up and down the line. I'm just wondering I, how long I like long these the, iMacs. I'm, I'm wondering just, how long I'm the air is going to last. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you, Neil. I, I'm yeah, all I, I would love to see a Retina display in a Mac. Yeah, I, I like I like the iMacs a lot. They're really nice machines, um, and I, I just you know the portability of a laptop is just it's too necessary for me. I, yeah, I can't justify an iMac. But if I were to get one, I'd probably get one with a bigger screen anyhow, because if it's going to sit there permanently, then I would go with a 27 inch screen. But I'm sure that there is a market for a 21.5 inch one. Um, uh, with a retina display I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that are very excited about, uh, about this so for those of you out there listening good for you yeah you don't buy that small one based on price right that's that's well, the reason no. you make that decision yeah i think if you want a desktop mac right you buy yeah. if you're not a professional and you want a desktop mac you buy an imac and if you want right. if you just want a mac to check your email right you buy a 21 and a half inch imac usually um i think that the where 5k was aimed at professionals the, the the 4K display will ju- only be 4K because it happens to be a good resolution for that screen size. I think it's not gonna, it's yeah. ju- it's just going to be there to make it a high res display. They're not going to go and say, "Oh, you can now edit your 4K video on a 21 and a half inch iMac." <laughs> Let's talk about watches. You guys both have Apple Watch. Have either of you used Android Wear for anything? Yes. Really? Do tell. Um, well, I used it to test stuff before um, as. Our, as our Twitter followers know, uh, I am a designer, quote unquote, designer guy. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, uh, I do a lot of UIs that people ask me for Android Wear stuff and things like that. Uh, so I've used it for a little while just to sort of get acquainted with it and, and, and learn the paradigm. Um, to be straight, I don't love it. Um, there are some aspects of it that are much better than the Apple Watch and some aspects of it that are much worse. Uh, but all in all, I don't like it very much. Um, but I don't know if that's because I've only used it on a Moto 360. And I hate, 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 hate everything involved in the round face. It just does not lend itself to... I mean, I love... Aesthetically, it's it's beautiful. 
but it does right. not lend itself to interaction. It's just bad. The the square shaped face, the square shaped face is a much better suited interaction face. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if it's something that you have to actually deal with, if you're just glancing at it, it's one thing. But if it's something you have to deal with in any way, and I I include like scrolling up and down in dealing with it, uh, the round face is just not adequate. Well, it's compatible with iOS now. So now people can have inadequate experiences paired with their iOS devices. <laughs> Neil, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I, mean, I guess there's a market out there for some people might want this, right? I don't know. There, there are plenty of people no, I think who pre-Apple Watch liked the Moto 360 and liked the LG just fine. So clearly people have it. And, and Google wants to be on both platforms. I mean, the clearest demonstration that you need that the round form factor is not the best one is that a square form factor exists in Android Wear. Okay, how isn't that just because, you know, LG and some of the others wanted to do a square? It's not because No, so know. Google is pushing they they push the round the round form factor. I mean, that's why the Moto 360 is round because that's what Google wanted it to be. But And it doesn't have a 360 degree display. Yeah. <laughs> it, it only it has the bottom of it cut off, which the is mo- you're don't talking about the chin, yeah. The Moto 285 whatever. Oh, it's terrible. The, new, the new Huawei watch has a full 360 round display. But Victor pointed out to me the other day that it achieves that by having a thicker bezel around the outside. It's yeah. actually hidden underneath the bezel. So. so if you want the sleekness of the Moto 360, you have to have the little chin down there. It's, I mean, listen. It's all compromises. These smartwatches have been around for a few years. They're not bad. I, I've used a Pebble, um, and it's all right. Um, I've used the Fitbit uh, one, and it's okay. This is a slightly more functional, capable one than, than those, and it costs more accordingly. Surely there's somebody out there who wants this. I can't imagine it's a huge market. But, I mean, these things are cheaper than an Apple Watch. If you want to get an entry-level smartwatch for, you know, 200 bucks or something, uh, something that has a touchscreen and something that you can get notifications on your wrist and you don't really care about the tighter integration of the Apple Watch and the features that it brings to the table, I suppose this appeals to somebody. I don't know that person, but they're out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's just a platform play. Um, yeah. They know that people are going to be making cheaper, better looking versions of the Pebble, essentially, and they want to be the OS of choice for those smartwatches. Right. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, why wouldn't someone just buy a Pebble? And then I remembered it's because it's ugly. <laughs> yeah, the, the Pebble is like the ultimate geek watch. It's the calculator watch of 2015. Yeah, um, it's not even that cool. And there's a certain the calculator market. watch. Is cool. there, there's a certain market that appeals to. A button-based interface on a watch, though, um, is just a nightmare. I mean, having to go back and forth and press all these buttons on your watch, I mean, you can't get anything done quickly. Um, it's just never going to work. So that's the biggest issue against something like the Pebble or some of these other options out there. You have to at least be able to quickly interact with it on your watch. But obviously, with the moderate success of smartwatches before the Apple Watch came along, and moderates being generous, obviously. Um, there's a market out there for, of people who want to get notifications on their wrist, and maybe the, the Apple Watch is too expensive for them would be who I think it applies to. Somebody who doesn't want to spend $350, $400 on an Apple Watch. In a few years, when the Apple Watch drops to like you know somewhere around 200 bucks, then I think it's game over for all these other ones. But until then, there's a market there, I think. Or people who want a round smartwatch. There were people in the comments that said that they think it's inevitable that Apple's going to release one with a round face. They think that that's definitely coming. The problem, so if you if if you are out there in podcast listener land and you want to see the problem with a round face, go watch the Android Wear demos on Google's website and note that unless there's something like a, an image involved, the layout is exactly the same on a square rectangular display and a round display. But on the round display, there's just more room on both sides. So, yeah, it's just, it's not good. It's not optimized at all. And there's no way to optimize it because it's a terrible form factor for interacting. Practically, you don't gain anything from it except more image out to the sides. Yeah, and a chin strap on your watch. And a big part of the design of the Apple Watch is the curved edges allowing you to more easily do edge swipes for, for gestures, which are a big part of interacting with the watch. If you were to do a round uh, face, that becomes a lot more difficult to, to do, I think. I was just about to say, where are the edge swipes? And then I realized you can also swipe from the bottom and the top. I am not a smart man. <laughs> yeah, so you swipe down for notifications and stuff. And it's actually kind of generous. You don't even have to touch the very top of the screen. You can kind of put, like, if I'm looking at my watch right now. And if I put my finger, like, halfway up the, 
the uh, clock face and just swipe down, it starts to pull down the notifications. Um, so, I mean, Apple is kind of generous considering there's a small amount of screen real estate. But generally what I do is I put my finger just kind of above the screen of the watch. Then because it's curved, I can just slide my finger over and do the gesture, and that's the easiest way to do it. I think yeah. that if you were trying to do that with a round face um, and didn't have a flat side to work against, it would actually make the, the edge gestures more difficult to accomplish. So. Well, you can actually see... You can actually see, um, even in iOS with an iPhone, how much better it is to have a rounded edge um, just yes. by doing the left swipes from like from an iPhone 5 and then trying them on an iPhone yes. 6. It's much, much yes. better on it, the iPhone 6. It really is. It feels much better, and that's the problem with, like, I have the official leather Apple case, and it has to protect the screen, and so it ruins this really nice, smooth edge thing. Um, and, and that's why I hate having a case on my phone, but the phone's so big I have to have a case on it. Neil, I know you've been in an Apple store, and and Shane, you've got Apple stores in Hong Kong, right? We have numerous. Numerous. Very popular. Well, if you've been in an Apple store since the beginning, you've seen the Apple stores go through a number of different redesigns, right? There was the initial one that had the theater, and there would always be events that would be up on the theater. They would used to bring in the uh, the keynote stream and stream the keynote live on the uh, theater display, and then the theater went away. The red phone went away. There have been all these number of changes. Uh, we used to have the white tables in the Apple stores, and now we've gone to the the maple wood tables. It looks like we're about to get another redesign, and we uncovered some documents that show this. What's in the documents, Shane? Uh, what's in the documents? Uh, it's a much more natural look to the store. They've thankfully done away with the stainless steel walls. Uh, they've gone with a lighter stone. Uh, if you've been to New York and you've seen the Upper West Side store, it's similar, but it's a little bit, or it looks similar anyway, uh, but it's a little bit lighter. It's, it's whiter. Um, you can see it in some of their newer flagship stores as well. They have uh, the accent walls along the back, even the ones that are still stainless, primarily stainless steel. Uh, the accent walls along the back are a natural stone. Uh, so they're moving in a little bit more of a, a, I guess, an organic direction with the stores. Um, they, the glass up front is all floor to ceiling. Uh, there, there are no, uh, there's no stainless steel columns as there are in some of the mall stores still. Um, I think the biggest change though is that the along the, you know, in an Apple store now, uh, along the sides you have those long banners, like the long ad banners. Have right, right now they probably have Apple watches on them. Uh, in the new store or this design that they proposed, those are. Supposedly, those are uh, long LED uh, displays, like long screens. Like they, I hate to say this, but like they have in the Microsoft Store, uh, it's long <laughs> screens on the side of the wall. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, it's it's a it's a, and I don't I don't think it's going to apply to all of the stores either. I think um, it's only based on the recent uh, flagship openings, which have all been the sort of combo uh, stainless steel slash stone designs. Uh, I think this may only apply to like in mall stores or stores that are in little shopping areas. Uh, so they may go with a dual design direction going forward. Uh, but yeah, it's basically just a, a refinement and a softening of the Apple store to make it not quite so in your face. And Apple is very thoughtful in the design of their stores, particularly the flagship ones, to the location and, and what the amenities are in the building and stuff like that and kind of fitting into it and keeping the original facade in place and stuff. So I like you said, I wouldn't expect this to be at every retail store going forward because on a case-by-case basis, they're going to deal with that stuff. But for smaller stores, um, mall stores, stuff like that, uh, this is probably their design going forward. Uh, this has been a project that uh, uh, Angela Aarons and Johnny Ive uh, have supposedly been working on together um, behind the scenes in Apple to kind of improve the experience there and make it feel more premium, make it more conducive to selling devices like watches and stuff like that. Um, and this is uh, going to be outside of uh, what what city was it outside of? Uh, Memphis. Memphis, yes. Uh, like a suburb of Memphis is they're just relocating in a shopping mall there to a different location. Yeah, what you said about the, the individual stores uh, adapting them to the environment is sorry what you said about the individual stores uh, adapting them to the environment is i think uh, even and going to be an even bigger part of what they do going forward i think they're they're tr- you've we've seen in the last few in the last couple of years they're trying to sort of reposition the brand even higher than it already was um, and i think the stores are going to begin to reflect that and i think that moving the the smaller mall stores to more of like an up for lack of a better term or lack of a better uh, yeah, I guess lack of a better because it's a terrible night for me. I apologize. For lack of a better, for lack of a better term, people uh, view natural materials as as upscale, right? 
if you go into a yeah. house, uh, you have wood floors, it's considered better yeah. than if you have hot, carpet yeah. floors, you know, yeah? Right. Um, I think that's sort of where they're going. Like the new Upper East Side store is, looks nothing like these other stores, uh, but it's beautiful. And it has a giant bank vault in it that they kept in place. Yeah. And when they do stuff like that, um, it, it not only adds character to the stores, but it also makes it seem more friendly in a way. Uh, if you see other businesses that do it really well, like Trader Joe's is a great example. Everybody loves Trader Joe's and all their stores are designed to be kind of unique to the neighborhood and to have a little bit of flair in it. Um, I was at a, uh, a Shake Shack the other day down by uh, in Brooklyn Bridge Park and they had a thing on the tables that said that the uh, wood that was used to make the tables there was from a local building that had been taken apart and they used the wood to, to make these tables there. So those kind of things put a face and kind of a warmth on uh, a company that make people feel kind of closer and more connected. And it's like, oh, they're doing something good. They're doing something nice. They're thinking of us. And I think that that makes uh, big corporations more palatable to uh, people in a neighborhood when you know a company is going to come in and they're going to do a good job and they're going to be respectful of the neighborhood. I think that uh, that that makes it a better experience for everybody. And I think there's also, this is really highbrow, but I think there's also among, there seems to be among Apple's marketing people a little bit of a worry that Apple, the brand, is getting slightly diluted. Um, I, mm-hmm. I guess primarily because of the success of the iPhone. Um, they've always been, Apple has always been able to maintain its, not elitist, but it's, you know, it's, it's sort of counterculture. Um, yeah, cool, cool people. Yeah, cool people use our products vibe because not so many people did. But now everyone has an iPhone. Right. So I think this, all of these little changes are adding up to an effort to keep the brand elevated. Here we go. What's next? All right. Do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. No matter what businesses you're in, we'll have something for you. Used by 60 million people throughout the world, Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. You can do it yourself with a drag-and-drop builder, hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, no coding needed. It's free. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card is required. You can get your website live today, and the result will be stunning. We're thankful to Wix.com for sponsoring our podcast today. With Wix.com, you don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. Go to Wix.com and easily create your own stunning website for free today. Yes, Shane, you were saying? I'm not I'm not going to lie to you, Victor. Yes. Uh, it sounded a little bit like you accidentally read that ad yeah. in a style intended for Ashley Madison. <laughs> Have an affair today. Uh, <laughs> Why won't you? Man, do you want to reread it or what? <laughs> do you want it to I be mean, reread? You can do whatever you want, but it, All right. yeah. it sounded like it might have been an erotic fan fiction. <laughs> That's my other career. Go back after we're done. You should get back after we're done and listen. No, to no, them. they 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 refuse yeah, to I, let you reread to reread them after the fact. You want it to be a live read. They're not going to know. You yeah, they're not going to know. You can do oh. whatever you want, Victor. I'm going to read through it quickly and go with you. You're gonna make you sounded you're like gonna make you, panties drop and you yeah. sounded like you were trying to make love to Wix. <laughs> Wix.com is a smooth way to create a website. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh God! No, we're not gonna do that. Okay. All right, what's next? Much better. Thank you. I appreciate the criticism. I will take it on board, and I promise not to uh, not to talk sexy talk to our podcast listeners. All right, big event coming up. There's going to be a new iPhone. We all know it. Let's talk about it a little bit. Our listeners will appreciate it, won't you? Won't you, listeners? So I'll handle this we, one. Uh, solicited question. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say I'll handle the, the quick wrap-up, or the, the wrap-up, the quick intro, because Neil usually does it. Uh, and I'm sure he's tired of regurgitating this 900,000 times a day. Go ahead. We have the iPhone 6S. We have the iPhone 6S Plus. We possibly have the iPhone 6C, but maybe not. Who really knows? Theoretically, uh, the rumors say that the 6 and 6 Plus and 5S will continue to be sold. So after Wednesday, or after whichever day they launch, the iPhone lineup will be iPhone uh, 5S, iPhone maybe 6C, iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, iPhone 6S, iPhone 6S Plus. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I don't think Neil thinks that's going to happen. I don't think anybody reasonable thinks that's actually going to happen. (laughs) 
but that's currently the rumor. Uh, headline features a new rose, a new rose gold color, unmistakable in name. Um, new, new processor. Uh, finally, more RAM, which means maybe you can keep more than one web page open in Safari at a time without reloading it every time you go back to the damn tab. Uh, upgraded Touch ID sensor, faster and more accurate, presumably. Uh, new cameras, 12 megapixel on the back, 5 megapixel on the front. Maybe uh, a front-facing flash, we don't know. And uh, probably force touch, so you can, you can deeply, deeply press your operating system. <laughs> There's that Ashley Madison again. Well, I, I, I tried to because while you were gone, uh, Mikey made a note that every time someone says deep press, he just he feels it's erotic. So now I feel obliged every time I say deep press to make it sound, you know, sexual. Give it that, that extra feeling. So, we, but there, there's already a phone out there that has force touch, isn't there? The new Huawei. The new Huawei. They, did you see that, Neil, the demo? No, I did not actually watch it. What, what did they call it? Uh, I don't know. The, what do they call in there? It's the new Ascend Mate. It's one of the Mate series, I think. No, but I mean, like, what do they call their version of Force Touch? Oh, I don't remember. Um, they there, had, there was some branding that was ridiculous. It was like when one of those Chinese companies came out with a high-res screen, they called it a retinal display with an L. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, come on. They, I don't remember what they Shameless. called it. I don't remember what they call the force touch part, but they have the uh, the knuckle press or the knuckle. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's knuckle sense, knuckle sense, so that they can determine whether you're pressing knuckle the head. screen, whether you're just pressing <laughs> the screen with your finger or your knuckle. Oh, and the only man. thing I could think of when I heard knuckle sense was the knuckle puck from the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Mighty Ducks. I mean, like, what do they want you to punch your phone? I don't understand. Like, was, was <sighs> it's just crazy. Wasn't one of the demonstrations my, that they did where they weighed an apple on the screen and the uh, the, no, the apple or no. the orange or whatever could? Yeah, they weighed an orange, and that's what I was going to say. Why wouldn't they weigh an apple? That is a totally missed opportunity by their PR. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everybody here on the podcast, as we've talked about it over the last few weeks and months, is a little skeptical about Force Touch on an iPhone and how valuable it's going to be to the interface and how big of a deal it's going to be. Certainly, there are. Uh, opportunities where i could see it being um potentially useful but uh i think that apple's really going to have to impress in their demo and take it beyond what we currently see for such being used for on the um mac and apple watch as i mentioned on last week's episode i just recently installed uh, watch os 2 and they've already started to make changes to it so that you don't have to use force touch to access hidden menus like you, when you load up the music app, they have a switch there to switch between locally stored music and music on your iPhone. You used to have to force touch to access that. So you can kind of see where the UI elements of not letting people know where and when to force touch on the screen um, makes it difficult. And that's only going to be exacerbated with a larger screen where presumably certain parts of the screen would be where you would force touch on. Um, but that is definitely everything's pointing toward that being on the next phone. And it makes sense. It's already been introduced on all of Apple's other major products. So uh, the iPhone is going to be getting force touched. <laughs> How deep is your so, touch? Since we, since we talked about it last time, I've actually thought a little bit more about this. And I yes. was on the train the other day uh, mm-hmm. playing real racing. And I was thinking, wait, man, real racing two or real really racing awesome. three? Three. I was thinking, man, it would be really awesome if I had a pressure-sensitive gas yes. pedal. And yes. then I thought, hey, for such pressure-sensitive gas yes. pedal, now that's a damn great idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. That's the only only scenario in which I yeah I mean I'm sure there are more, but yeah. so far that's the only scenario I've come up with where for such would be awesome. I mean, other than that, it seems like everything that you would use force touch for would be the same as a long press, right? Yeah. And in many cases, I could see where force touch would actually get confusing because of long press versus force touch. Like there was one piece of speculation out there saying that potentially force touch might allow you to do shortcuts within apps. So you would force touch on an app icon and it would pop up some sort of a menu where you would then choose something from there. Like, you know, rather than open Skype, I could force touch on Skype and say, call Victor. Uh, you know, that would be like one of my hot options there you know that shows up i'm honored by that victor you're a very hot option (laughs) yes damn Um, right but uh i but but then from a from a user experience standpoint right you could see where it's like okay am i long pressing am i force touching like 
well, because then you're making your icons terrible, jiggle right? if you're not pressing hard enough. All of this is terrible <sighs> it, because it's undiscovered. It's it's I, unknown, I right? You have well, to discover it, and yes. you can't discover it because yes. how the hell would you That's know? That's the problem. This is mystery well, meat some, interface. Right. It's freaking awful. The thing is, there are there are some existing UI paradigms on iOS where I could see it being totally useful. Um, one example is the cut, copy, paste menu. Uh, yes. Where you double tap to select a word, or tap and then wait some undefined amounts of time, and then tap oh, again to get yes. a curve, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Imagine you just you force touch a you force touch. You this sounds it just sounds so ridiculous. You <laughs> you press lightly you to Jedi mind uh, trick bring up yeah you press lightly to bring up the the cut copy menu. You press slightly harder to select a word, and then you press yes. harder still to select the whole paragraph or something. Like there are little interactions yeah, like that, that yeah, that already exist where I could see it being useful. But I agree with you and that in that if they move uh, stuff that's currently in like a side menu or a hamburger menu into a contextual menu that's only available via force touch, it's going to be super confusing. It's going to be nightmarish. And a lot of this force touch stuff makes sense on the watch because it's such a small screen. That's the reason it works. Uh, when I want to clear all notifications on my watch – uh, which I still can't do on my phone, by the way. Um, the, putting a button on the screen to erase all the notifications would number one uh, take up space on a small screen, and number two would be kind of hard to press because you put small buttons on there, it just doesn't work. The screen's too small. So force touch makes sense in that context. Um, but once you start going beyond that and doing other features, um, it's kind of a, a guessing game. When you get on the watch, it's, oh, can I do it here? Can I do it there? Now expand that to a 4.7-inch or a 5.5-inch screen or you know a 9.7-inch iPad. It's like, you know, you're, you're playing a, a, a weird uh, game here of trying to figure out where it's going to work. Um, and as I've said before, and I still think it's true, you need, you need to have some sort of a visual cue, subtle, for the user to see where they might be able to do it. And then even then, it's going to be really difficult to do. So, But you, you raise a good point. Text selection, um, yes. Press a little harder on the screen, drag my thumb across, uh, uh, and I can get precision text selection without having to work with that picture nonsense. Great. Or that whole that insert be, picture uh, thing would be good to have because I'm sick of doing that. You, you know, you, you know, you're in an email and you want to insert a picture, right? You have to tap and then tap again on the arrow and then insert. Oh, got all. Oh, I, I think that um, for, for power users, it might be great. But for the average iPhone user, it's going to be more confusing than anything else. But that's a really um, I did good want point. To, since we're talking about the iPhone. Because we're talking about uh, – there's also the, the whole iPad Pro thing that we've talked about in the past. And if we're talking about power users, right. that's where those two things come together. Yeah, with a stylus and people that – you know, I, I could see – I mean the obvious is for drawing and art and stuff. But um, – I mean, I, I suppose there's other uses. So cops we're, are coming for me. God, what, what did you do this time? <laughs> I did want to get to, though, because we solicited for some reader questions. And yes. uh, obviously most of them were uh, people wondering about the iPhone. Um, Charles Repub9989 wanted to know what kind of iPhone with hard drive space is best for what type of consumer. Well, if you just want a smartphone to download apps and stuff, uh, you can get the entry-level 16-gig model. If you're taking a lot of photos, though, um, the 64 gig upgrade or even 128 is a pretty no-brainer. Would you guys agree? I think the 64 gig. If you're if you have any um, concept of doing literally anything that does not involve the stock <laughs> Apple apps on your phone, or even if you even if you only want to use Apple Music, I think the 64 gig is a no-brainer upgrade. Yeah, um, like if you're hundred dollars more, you get four times the store. Yeah, because like if you're assuming you just buy the phone, you don't download any apps, but you use Apple Music and you make a bunch of playlists available offline, you're going to go through that storage really quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I take a ton of photos. I have like something like 8,000, 10,000 photos on my phone and uh, I use iTunes Match and download music locally. So I have the 128 gig model and I'm I'm very happy with it. Um, I would not hesitate to go back and pay for the extra storage again. I don't have to worry about deleting stuff or clearing up space or anything like that. It's just not a concern. So, Um, And then we had another one here. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm I'm definitely the wrong person to ask because I always buy the big one starting with the 8 gig back in 2007. Um, buy as much as you can I actually four. started out with a 4 gig phone. Yeah, I, I always get the good one. I was one of the few that bought the phone. Well, uh, there was, then, uh, was someone else expensive. who asked, someone else asked uh, Garrett Gladden, uh, handle at WTF Garrett, uh, want to know the in-store launch date for the iPhone 6S. 
Well, they're going to be announcing it on September 9th, which is a Wednesday, and Apple's release pattern is usually to put it in stores 10 days later on a Friday. So you can expect to be showing up to your Apple store or getting it in the mail on Friday, September 18th, if Apple sticks to its usual release pattern, which I see no reason why they would not do that. Nice answer. That was really slick. Do we have more questions? Nope. Uh, well, there is uh, Carlos Fizeme, uh wanted to let uh, Shane know that he doesn't know how to be objective without being very irritating. So thank you for that, Shane. We appreciate that. Uh, at least I'm objective. <laughs> Do you agree with our listener? No comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, the, people think that we hate each other on here too, which makes me laugh because someone uh, uh, left an iTunes review a few weeks ago telling me that I was a horrible person. Um, and they said that they could hear the disdain in everyone's voices when I speak. So there's a lot of uh, projecting that goes on here. But uh, Shane and I get along well, and I think he has some good opinions. But Carlo, <laughs> your 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 input is appreciated. Thank you. Just to be clear, I do not disdain Neil. Uh, mild dislike <laughs> at the most. <laughs> mild. Let's go into this Cisco-Apple story. So Cisco and Apple partnered to optimize networks for iOS. This has been a thing that I remember going back to early iPhone days where I think it was at Duke University, the networks configured in, were, were configured in such a way that iOS devices actually had trouble getting on the network. So, and, and of course, they resolved that problem back at that time, but now there's a partnership in place for enterprise push. So, so what is the story about? Well, I mean, there are a few parts to it. The first part is there's a joint engineering effort to make sure that Apple devices and Cisco routing devices work and play well together, uh, which is just yet the latest push in the enterprise, right? Uh, the IBM partnership was about sales and service, and the Cisco partnership is about engineering and efficiency. Um, the second part of it is that Cisco has committed to actually making their uh, their user-facing products uh, work better with iOS. That means thing, every, every, anybody who works for a Fortune 1000 company has a phone on their desk made by either Avaya or Cisco. And um, Cisco has essentially, or they didn't essentially say, they did say in the press release, uh, that one of the things they're going to do is make it so that your uh, Cisco desk phone and your iPhone can be essentially the same device. Uh, you can move move smoothly between the two. Uh, they've been trying to do stuff like that for a while. Um, Avaya's had a like a Bluetooth adapter where you could hook your your any mobile phone up to your desk phone and it would it would transfer calls back and forth. It doesn't work, you know, amazingly. It's it's kind of cool. It doesn't work great. Um, but a, a really deep integration with Cisco's uh, telephony stuff and the iPhone would be nice. Uh, also, their other stuff, WebEx, uh, is coming on board. Their telepresence stuff will be optimized for iOS. So really, this is just sort of Apple uh, putting the final. Um, uh, poll in the end of, of enterprise support. Excellent. Is there anything else you guys would like to discuss this afternoon? Uh, I, we should probably do a plug. Uh, we will have a special episode next Wednesday after the Apple event to discuss what has been announced. So keep uh, your eye out for the download. Excellent. Well, I'm Victor Marks. We've got Shane Cole. Shane, where can people find you on the internet? I am right next to Neil because we love each other at Apple Insider. <laughs> And Neil, where, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I am at this is Neil. He's very boring. Very. In a manly way. Yes. <laughs> In a manly way. Next week, if Shane shows us where he was force touched on the doll, <laughs> we will be back oh, with more God. Apple Insider podcasts. <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. <laughs> uh, I, I like I'm it. I'm sorry. Leave it. Who cares? Couldn't resist. This podcast was brought to you by Wix.com, used by 60 million people throughout the world. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. With the drag-and-drop builder and hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from, you can get your website live today. It's easy and free. Go to wix.com and create your stunning website today.